Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this Monday, December 20th. That's right, five days away uh, from, from the celebration known as Christmas. And if you're one of those individuals who wants to email us and say, how dare you celebrate that pagan holiday, just don't. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll have that discussion another time. We're not going to do that right now. But I know that uh, friends of ours like Alan Nelson are in the height of the Christmas uh, season fury, and uh, they're loving every minute of it. And we are so grateful to spend time with you this week. Uh, thank you for being part of the uh, Voice of Reason radio family. Really need to, uh, right up front, want to give out a couple of shout-outs to some folks who have just been so absolutely generous to us. Um, there was, I, 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 we don't know who you are because you only put your initials on it, but somebody sent us a, um, a basically portable podcast recording device uh, with my, that can do microphone and headphone setups and stuff like that. Uh, obviously they want us to continue recording. Very bizarre that you want that, but Hey, cool. Really appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, Kind of shocks me that there are people that really want us to keep doing this. It's that kind of surprises me some days, but uh, want to say thank you. Uh, I here's the Rich. This is what confuses me. All right, now this is what happens when you when you get crazy with your keyboard. Whoever this person is sent us two notes along with the gift from Amazon, and the message is always blessed by your Twitter feed from, and depending on which slip of paper I have in my hand at the moment, one says B L, one says B J. Whoever you are, it would really help if you were consistent on your initials. Uh, but it was very kind of you. Uh, genuine. I, I am not kidding. I was stunned when I opened that package um, and, and saw this, this recording device that Zoom puts out. It's, uh, it's called a pod track. Uh, it's literally, it looks like a miniature soundboard. And you plug your, your XLR mic on one side, your headphones on the other, and you can do up to four tracks recording. Um, that was extremely generous. I've been looking at that kind of device for a while and, uh, real it, it's, it's probably going to get its first legs. I'm going to have to test it before, obviously, so I know how to work it, but it'll probably get its first real test, uh, at Shepherd, uh, Shepherd's conference. Cause, uh, Chris Huff and I are, are talking about, um, trying to uh, do a, a program while we're down there, God willing. Um, <laughs> that that's if Joe Biden doesn't try to shut the entire country down a la, you know, um, Australia, Austria, and German-style <laughs> police states. Um, who I don't know what's happening on that announcement tomorrow, Rich. Everything could go really weird. Uh, they, you know, he's supposed to come out and make some interesting announcements from what I'm hearing. Um, I, I, Rich, can you remember a time when a president said, hey, by the way, if you haven't been jabbed, your, your, your winter is one of serious illness and death? <laughs> Not in my lifetime. Not in my lifetime pretty, either. I'm, I'm wow. pretty old, and I've lived through a lot of presidents. And I, although I did, I've done a little research, and I can't find in the history of the world <laughs> where a disease or virus or pandemic has been this politicized. And no. you know, um, basically, Republicans refuse to take the jab, and Democrats are screaming, "The sky's falling! You better take the jab, or we're <laughs> all going to die." And of course, I mean, it's it's all the it's all the Democrats that are sick, even though they got jabbed right now. Uh, all right, different topic. We're gonna get we're gonna get <laughs> deplatformed if we continue on this. But that's going into Christmas. That's what that's what our our our, our leaders have said. And um, 
you know, uh, and uh, you know, we have no idea what the next few months hold. So that's why I say, God willing, that device will get put to good use here in the very near future. So thank you, number one, for doing that. Uh, number two, I want to thank, think specifically by name, Darren Chandler, for being the first person to uh, to uh, to subscribe to our Patreon, uh, you know, donation page. That was ex- extremely kind of you, dude. Darren is is a great friend. Uh, especially of this program, the man, I don't think there's a po- podcast episode we've put out. The man has not shared and, uh, he is it's just extremely generous with his time. And now, uh, you know, helping to, you know, put the, uh, you know, the, you know, pay the little bitty bills that we have for this podcast through the Patreon thing. Um, I just want to say that by name because that he's the first one. And by the way, Darren, when I see you next, um, I need, I'm going to bring you cause we made a promise. We told you guys this a long time ago and none of you listened to us. So, uh, the first five people that, you know, sign up on Patreon, were getting copies of Andrew, uh, Rappaport's books. What do we believe and what do they believe? And, uh, Darren, you're getting those. So you're either going to have to message me and get me your address because I never got to get it because we never got to go down there last year and stay with you for ShepCon since that got canceled. So you're going to have to get me your address because i got to send that to you. Or um, or I'm just going to bring them to you. And, you know, and, and I might just have Andrew hand deliver them to you. That'll be all kinds of fun because he likes to do this big, you know. So you might just want to message me the because otherwise I'll just have Andrew give them to you. And that's going to be all kinds of interesting. So anyway, I just want to say thank you to you guys. That was very kind this last week to, to see people so supportive of this program. I mean, if you knew how little sometimes... I'm prepared coming into this. Um, Rich does a much better job some days than I do. Um, you know, so you, you you would maybe think twice about supporting that. And I don't say that to my to, to get a pat on the back. Uh, I, I say that just it just being somewhat transparent. But it is a very gracious a kind and kind thing, especially going into this Christmas season. What kind gifts. Uh, from all you all, you guys are just amazing supporters of this program, and I, I want to remind hey, brother. Uh, go ahead. I just want to put this out there because we have said it before, and I just want to make sure again for full disclosure, um, we we appreciate you helping keep the show on the air more than mm-hmm. any of any of you could ever possibly imagine. And in the beginning, with the Patreon count, the 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 donations will help keep us on the air but our prayer and goal is get to the point to where we can use what you bless us with in order to be able to buy books and bibles in return to turn around and to bless those that listen to the show and even those that don't listen to the show if they're in need of such materials so that's just kind of a short short long-term goal of mine and chris's when it comes to this program that eventually we would love to be able to in return, bless others through the gifting of such generous individuals such as Darren. Amen. Amen. And folks who send us equipment like, well, your B something. I don't know if you're BJ or BL, um, but for both of them, you know, just so, so very kind. And uh, Kendarian on Twitter. No, you're not supposed to pray that we sound like we're, we're breathing helium. That's not the kind of prayer request I was asking for on Twitter. <laughs> going to get you for that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, by the way, want to remind you, we are part of the Christian podcast community. That is a wonderful uh, pr- place where you get to hear a 
bunch of uh, sound biblical podcasts. In fact, it was just this last uh, last week where one of our our fellow podcast brethren actually <laughs> actually gave us a shout out, which was kind of nice. But um, you know, when I went and listened to the one where he did. Uh, I think it was. Uh, let me look. For, where's the message from? Ah, uh, uh, the uh, Daryl Update. Daryl Updike, the Happy Presbyterian. His podcast. What are we even doing here? I'll put this one in the show notes. It was a great little twenty-minute podcast, and he gave just a wonderful gospel presentation, reminding us that you know, especially during this season when you're getting together with family and friends, this is. The prime opportunity, you know, really, to be sharing the gospel message, the most important message, the whole point of Christmas. We talked about this last year. The very point of Christmas is that it points us to the cross at Calvary uh, and and the resurrection of Christ at at Easter. It was when Christ took on humanity, took on human flesh, and dwelt among us. And that is where God enters into human history so that he can become our propitiation, our savior, that he might take on the wrath of God. Wonderful little podcast episode. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Go check out Daryl's uh, podcast. He's part of the Christian podcast community. And so I really uh, recommend you check that out. R- grateful for the shout out. Uh, this was not a mutual, hey, I'll shout you out if you shout me out. Uh, but I want to, he was, he was kind enough to, to mention our program. And uh, having listened to his, I, I, I certainly recommend you guys check it out. But want you to continue to check out uh, the podcast on the uh, Christian podcast community. And just as a reminder, slavetothekeen.com, that's our website uh, as we write things, as we uh, put m- uh, new stuff up. That's where you're going to find it. That's where you will find uh, the, the, the Patreon uh, page. I found out a trick. I figured it out how you find the Patreon on the side panel of the blog. Turn your phone sideways. Uh, <laughs> if you turn your phone sideways and it kind of spreads out the the, web, the mobile website, the side panel uh, with all the different links pops up. So that, I fig- I knew that there was a way I was going to be able to do it. And you just hmm. literally, when you go to slavetothekeen.com, just turn your phone sideways It'll 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 open up a little bit broader, and you'll see those little side panels on there, and you'll see the Patreon link as well. So definitely recommend you go check out that, especially as things continue to get more bizarre on the interweb, and the big tech overlords continue to try to narrow down and control more and more. I mean, in fact, they finally caught up to uh, uh, to James White. Um, they have started. They started taking off episodes if he talks about certain topics. I imagine simply because we mentioned it at the beginning of this show, YouTube will not allow this. You, by the way, if you're on YouTube and you follow channels, Voice of Reason Radio has a YouTube channel. It does not have video. Rich is kind of shy. He doesn't like a camera. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it actually what it is is uh, Podbean automatically uploads our audio with our logo on the background. And so if you're one of those individuals that YouTube is just how you listen or watch this, watch stuff, uh, you can throw it on you know, a voice of reason radio on there, but it's not foolproof. And we have noticed that not every episode makes it up there. So it's supposed to automatically do it. There have definitely been some episodes that didn't get on there. And I think I know why. Like this one may not make it because we mentioned something at the beginning of the show. Anyway, 
<laughs> so definitely recommend you check uh, check that out. But yeah, the more hey, and more. Brother. Yes, go ahead. Before we get actually started into mm-hmm. tonight's episode, why don't you share with our listeners the amazing thing that, or the amazing way the Lord used our last podcast, our last episode, and I'm still just blown away about how that worked out with Hearts for the Lost podcast uh, and the teaching opportunity. Oh my goodness, I'm trying to remember what that was. Help me out. Remind, you remind me, because I, <laughs> I did not put this down. And I'm forgetting what it was. Help me out. <laughs> we're, we're, we're rather spitballing tonight. Um, Chris and I both have had a Well, you threw me under the bus. I wasn't we ready. Want, <laughs> well, we, we decided we wanted to get in one more podcast before the end of 2021. <laughs> but um, if, I were, if, and if I'm mistaken, please correct me. But the last time we recorded and posted it, a listener heard about Hearts That's for right. and their evangelism teaching ministry yes and they heard about it through that episode and we posted it on a friday they heard it on a saturday morning got in touch with brian and next thing you know brian makes the hour-long drive to this particular church and is teaching an evangelism class that sunday afternoon because of a church member's having heard about them through Voice of Reason Radio's podcast on Friday night. I mean, that was just... Thank you for reminding me, me away. I, I Thank you for reminding me that. I totally forgot about that. Not that not, not that I I forgot, forgot, just forgot what you one thing you were referring to. Oh, that's not going to sound good <laughs> no matter how I spin it. Anyway, uh, yes, Hearts for the Lost. Excellent, excellent evangelism ministry. Highly recommend you go check it out, heartsforthelost.com. Our good friend, uh, Brian Nind, uh, it has he and his uh, his friend actually have a podcast? You can uh, go to uh, their their actual Twitter page is at Team HFTL Heart, Team Hot Hearts for the Lost, and I think through there uh, there is also you can also find the link ah H four T L the podcast. That's the other uh, Twitter page. Go check them out. Um, Brian Nine and uh, Jimmy De-, De Los Santos are doing a great job using this podcast platform to encourage people to proclaim the gospel. And yeah, bec- that's what I love. You mentioned something, and next thing you know, boom, here's a ministry opportunity, and people are getting equipped to preach the gospel. So awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you for bringing that up. I completely had just not had that on my plate. And and now 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 Brian's going to give me all kinds of grief, deservedly so. Uh, okay, I think we've covered everything we needed to cover. Well, um, since I didn't get my typical, Rich, how are you doing this week? And my I apologize. reply of better of better than I deserve because we're we're kind of out in left field tonight. Neither one of us were as prepared as we would have liked to have been. But I wanted to share this because this is pretty funny in a way before we get into a really serious topic. Someone asked me, or it was the question was posed, why do we say Merry Christmas? And it got me to thinking and I got curious and, you know, curiosity killed the cat. And now the answer is stuck in my brain. But (laughs) it goes back I forgot what century, but I mean, it goes a long way back. But over time, 
in England, and especially with the Queen, they quit using the phrase Merry Christmas, and they went to Happy Christmas. Because from what I understand, even in England today, when you use the word Merry, they attribute that word to meaning drunkenness, because one of the definitions of Merry is to be drunk and merry or to be drunk and giddy. But it, to get away from that association of, of being drunk, England started saying Happy Christmas. So thanks to that and that question and reading, now every time I see the word Merry Christmas or someone says Merry Christmas, I'm thinking, oh, great, they're hoping that I'll be drunk come Christmas. <laughs> but I just found that interesting and disturbing both at the same time because now that's stuck in my brain and I can't seem to get it out. But um <laughs> You know, Happy Christmas doesn't really purvey the actual meaning like it should, at least not for biblical Christians. So I've decided that, for me, that I'm I'm going to just start saying, we hope you have a joy-filled Christmas, because joy is a state of being in Christ, whereas happy, merry, you know, glad, all of those are emotions. And as biblical Christians— Emotions are not our driving force. Amen. Amen. Uh, brother, good stuff, man. I did not know that myself. <laughs> That's uh, those little but, interesting things that you learn, and and Rich is really good about finding out those interesting things. Well, like I said, sometimes I'm a little too curious for my own good, and I'll get to <laughs> reading and digging into things. But now it's stuck in my brain. Like, like, I need, I need to run bleach through it because <laughs> I can't shake the thought. Because I had a Christmas card from my granddaughter, my wife brought home, and it says "Merry Christmas." And my first thought was, "Great, my grand, my five-year-old granddaughter is hoping that I get drunk for Christmas." So, I mean, <laughs> and I have to say, this is going to be my most treasured Christmas gift, possibly forever, because. Like I said, she's five, and she did Christmas cards for all of her family. And, you know, typical five-year-old fashion, the handwriting is not the world's best, but she does pretty good. And then she's got to Papaw on it, and she wrote, I love you, in her name, and drew me little pictures and different things in it. But I have to tell you, that is right now, that is my most treasured Christmas gift ever, is my little card from my five-year-old oh, granddaughter. That's beautiful, man. That's absolutely beautiful. Now... Going in a completely different direction. <laughs> well, here's my transition. Still on the, here's my transition. Still on the top. Okay. <laughs> you said you were going to need to bleach that from your brain. Well, after the link okay. you sent, after you know, you know that whole merry <laughs> the, the merry Christmas thing, you're going to have to bleach that from your brain, right? Well, after watching that link you sent me of that particular church you're, service, there's something else I need to bleach from my brain. <laughs> I was going to say, after watching that, you feel like you just about need to get drunk yourself. <laughs> no, because <laughs> then I would still remember it afterwards. I need to bleach this image from my brain. Oh, my goodness. So, Rich and I you both saw this, and then Rich sent me the video link, and I did not want to play it because I just knew I was going to get bothered. And I did. Um, if you are at all familiar with Christian involvement in politics, then you are probably familiar with the name Robert Jeffress. He is the uh, pastor of First Baptist Dallas and um, a very prolific conservative speaker, often seen on Fox News, 
often very involved in the conservative political movement and quite honestly is the type of person that, um, well, when Beth Moore wants to scream Christian nationalism, she's got someone like Robert Jeffress in mind. <laughs> let's, let's just say what it is. Um, Jeffress probably is more well-known for preaching conservative politics than he is really for preaching the gospel. Now, I'm not going to say that I know everything he's ever spoken from the pulpit, and I'm not going to say that I know every theological position he holds to. I can simply say that when you hear of the name Dr. Robert Jeffress, you're not typically thinking, oh, this is a guy that you know is preaching a sound biblical gospel. You're typically thinking, oh, he's the guy on Fox News that's way, way super pro-Trump and everything else. Well, to that end, and which is kind of be the foil for our topic tonight, uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, I guess, decided, following up with his, uh, at the end of his sermon, What If There Were No Christmas, decided it was going to be appropriate to have a special guest speaker come up and, and, and say a few words uh, from his heart. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but prior to that, I mean, he had been advertising all over social media that this individual would be speaking yes. at this church on this day yes. for their Christmas extravaganza. And, you know, th th that was not a, a spur of the moment. He just showed up out of nowhere kind of thing. This was planned. Yes. And if I knew nothing else about this quote unquote pastor, one thing I heard at the end, right before he announced this individual's coming forth to stand behind a pulpit, which uh, we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. If I knew nothing else about this gentleman, the two minutes that I listened that came out of his mouth, and it may not have even been two minutes, that told me all I needed to know about this man's theology and his understanding of the biblical gospel and his understanding of the biblical way of salvation. We have heard over the last decade many, 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 many men, especially Paul Washer, talk about the sinner's prayer and how yeah. unbiblical it is. Jeffries offered up the sinner's prayer, and I'm not talking the little light version. I'm talking the hardcore, full-on, say this prayer, and if you mean it from your heart, now you're saved. If you prayed this prayer and you really meant it, we want to hear from you. I mean, yeah. he went to the full on full hardcore version of it with the exception of inviting people to walk down front. And I believe, and I can't say this for sure, but it's just my own gut um, reaction and my own gut feeling that had it not been for the gentleman he called up next, he would have invited people to come down front. Yeah. The problem with the sinner's prayer, there's tons of resources out there. We're not going to get into that tonight, but I want to point out the huge, huge missed opportunity and the huge failure on this man's part, because you know, there were millions upon millions yeah. of views for this video and what a wasted opportunity to actually proclaim the biblical way of salvation for those who are lost or deceived thinking that they're actually saved or for those who know that they're not saved and don't care and who actually just outright hate God, 
what a wasted opportunity this was by this quote unquote pastor to proclaim the biblical way of salvation. Instead, he stands up there and basically is, and I can't remember everything word for word, but, you know, open your heart to Christ, invite him in, you know, say this prayer. And if you really mean it, now you're a child of God. We want to hear from you, you know, is full blown. What's be, what's worse than the easy believism? I mean, this is yeah. borderline, full-on Armenian on display, I choose God type of rhetoric. And it's a good thing we did not record this last night <laughs> when it was still fresh on my mind because about three hours after I had watched and went through this, my wife was still asking me, are you okay? Because she could just <laughs> literally see the smoke coming out of my ears. I was so <laughs> angered over this yeah everything else aside about politics their christmas show everything else aside it is so sad that someone with such a platform in an in a online video and at the time when it was recorded it was live wasted such a huge opportunity to actually proclaim the biblical way of salvation my question is why would you not proclaim the biblical way of salvation unless of course you know you know we know the answer he doesn't know the biblical way of salvation and he doesn't believe the biblical way of salvation because everyone that we've ever come across that that really adhere to the sinner's prayer and especially nowadays that are still pushing that out from behind a pulpit are more akin to the world than they are to the true church body would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to, to answer the question that you had, why would he do that? Well, I think the answer is pretty straightforward. It simply boils down to pragmatism, which we've talked about on this program. I think one of these days, let's let's do this next year. We're going to sit down and, and actually talk about the sinner's prayer versus actual biblical evangelism um, and why it's an issue. I think that would be an excellent um program to do in fact we might maybe maybe we'll get brian to come on make up for the fact that i forgot what you were talking about um (laughs) but uh the sinner's prayer is is a very big problem and it's reflective of what we fail to understand the church to be which is what we're going to talk about tonight that the the the, you know the the involvement of politics and pragmatism and uh the purpose of the church all of these things when you do the sinner's prayer from the pulpit, what are you using that pulpit for? You're not using it to, you know, to equip and edify and you know the the saints and glorify God. Rather, you're trying to reach to the unchurched and make them feel comfortable enough to make a decision. And that's that's one of the biggest problems in American evangelicalism today has been the pragmatism that is so prevalent in modern American churches and. Robert Jeffress did that in in spades, and he's trying to appeal to a particular crowd, and in this case, a conservative uh, political crowd, which is why when he announced that former President Donald Trump was going to be president and speak from the pulpit a message from his heart, an issue for uh, for <laughs> to, to yet be discussed, um, rather than preach the biblical gospel and the biblical way of salvation, he gives this you know, hardcore sinner's prayer, now you're in the family. You know, he knew he was going to have all kinds of people that identify politically with him, and he wants them aligned with that, you know, with what he teaches and, and what he proclaims politically. So he gives them a, a softball 
presentation of the gospel, uh, something that anybody could adhere to. So that that that's that's why you you do something like that. That's why you pro you you use such a uh, a, a terrible terrible pragmatic unbiblical quote unquote prayer. So to take it one step further, then he has uh, former President Trump step up behind the microphone and. Look, Trump did what Trump always does. Trump got up and basically gave kind of a political stump speech and gave. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to stop you real quick because okay. we got to do this. We got to do this in the order as it happened. <laughs> when, 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 when he announced, my friend President Trump. Trump got up and started up the little steps to the, what basically was a stage to the pulpit. But do you remember what happened when he was announced as he was walking up? Standing ovation and everybody with their phone cameras ready to go. And screaming and yelling and clapping and giant Megatron screens across the back of the quote-unquote church with pictures and photos of President Trump and American flag waving, you know, simulation of the flag waving, Trump's face plastered up there, lights going, people standing, applauding and cheering and pumping. Trump is walking up to a pulpit. So let's stop right there. Yeah. That alone is extremely problematic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I may be old school. You may call me buddy, duddy, hardcore conservative. I don't care. Um, if, if children are up front and they sing a little song, maybe for Christmas and, and you want to clap is one thing, but to glorify a man, much less a politician at a Christian church service for Christmas. And you're going to give him a standing ovation as he walks up, much less all of this plastered up on the walls and on the screens and everything else with his face. The world is looking in and it honestly looks through the world's eyes, looks like this congregation is worshiping, Donald Trump instead of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And which is why this kind of event should never, ever happen within the four walls of a church. Look, this is not the same as when, you know, Donald Trump kind of showed up unexpectedly uh, and, uh, and David Platt prayed for him from the pulpit. Okay, that's a little bit of a different scenario. Now, I got issues with David Platt, but... I give him credit for saying, well, I've got the leader of the free world here. I'm going to pray for the man. I think that was appropriate. But this is different. You, you've invited a, a, a massively well-known political figure, and you brought him to speak to your congregation a message from his heart. And what is the immediate reaction? Not people going, well, why, why is he here? You know, not that. No, it's like the standing ovation rock concert response that we would expect if you went to a political rally. This is exactly why you don't hold something like that in the four walls of a church. Highly inappropriate. It takes the folk. What is the whole point, which is one of the things we're talking about tonight, of, of church? We're there to worship God. We're there to be equipped by God. We're there to go and do the work of God once we get out the four walls of the church. We're not there to worship a political figure. And I'm okay, sh- what's the problem? Go ahead. What's I, I know where you're going, but we're getting just a little ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. What is the problem with a political figure, 
such as Donald Trump. Well, it wouldn't even have to be Donald Trump, any politician whatsoever. Okay, first I will say this. I have a problem, a huge issue, with any politician mm -hmm. standing behind a pulpit, period. Now, Amen. what, in your view, is the problem with a, fig, a public figure, a political figure such as Donald Trump taking to the pulpit? Because I watched the Twitter feed when this was announced a day or two prior and watched and a lot of people were commenting that, you know, he shouldn't be behind the pulpit. And others were saying, well, we're going to, I'm going to wait and see yeah. if he actually stands behind the pulpit. He stood behind the pulpit and addressed this congregation. Yeah. What is the problem with that? Well, what, what, is the, what is the pulpit? It is the place where the person who is equipped by God, who has met the, the requirements of, you know, the, of being a pastor, elder, teacher, According to First and Second Timothy, according to Titus, for those you know that you have met those qualifications, Donald Trump is not a pastor, not a teacher, is not qualified to be behind the pulpit. He is not, and he was there not to proclaim salvation in Christ alone, but he was there. He was there to proclaim a political message. That is not the purpose of the pulpit, and no per, nobody should be behind that pulpit that isn't qualified. According to the scriptures, now you may have a you may have a church that says, okay, like my church at uh, Community Bible Church in Reno, we have someone who will come up and read a passage of scripture during our you know our, our time of, of worship you know in in song, and that passage will have application to the to the sermon later. But even then, that person isn't some random individual. It's somebody the pastors have said, this is someone we believe would be appropriate to go behind the pulpit for that specific purpose for the reading of the word. That pulpit is a sacred place that God has appointed people to be in for the specific purpose of preaching his message. You don't take a politician who's there for politics and put him behind the pulpit. It is not appropriate. It is he is not qualified, nor is it uh, he there to do the work of the the pastor to pre preach a sermon. So it is okay. a complete violation of what that pulpit is for. Okay, would your opinion be different if Trump had stood down front? in front of everyone or if he went up on the stage and had stood offside to the pulpit no because again what is the purpose of the gathering which we're used like you, you i got to rein myself in we're going to talk about the purpose of the gathering of saints is not there for political rallies and that's what he was doing now trump gives kind of a, a nod to jesus christ a nod to the christmas uh account but then most of his time up there, which was maybe less than 10 minutes, is up talking about how great America is and how we're going to win it back and all this and, and, and all the things that are happening. I mean, he even went into what happened in uh, Afghanistan with our withdrawal. Nothing about that message, nothing about what he was speaking from his heart had anything to do with Scripture, had anything to do with God, had anything to do with Christ or with the uh, you know uh, 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 of his coming and, and and taking on human flesh and what we celebrate as Christmas, it had nothing to do with any of those things. It was a stump okay. speech. Now that gets into the next comment: is that within American evangelicalism, multitudes of quote unquote churches do not understand the difference between a podium and a pulpit, and that's the, that's. Basically, the scenario we're looking at here during this particular service, that is not a pulpit, it's a podium. Yep. 
and I'm going to ask you a question that was posed to me. In this situation, Trump was standing behind that pulpit without a Bible. Mm-hmm. What makes that pulpit holy? Does the pulpit make the Word of God holy, or does the Word of God make the pulpit holy? So in that, with that in mind, with him standing up there without a Bible, he is using it as a podium. Mm-hmm. What is the problem? Again, it comes back to what is the gathering there for? That's the issue. We are When we come together on the Lord's Day, we are there for a singular purpose. That is to be worshiping our Lord, proclaiming His truth, equipping one another, doing the, the one another's for one another, and then going out into the world to make disciples. Him being up there to do a stump speech, I don't care how you redefine it. Well, it's, it's, you know, what makes it holy? What makes it holy? God makes it holy. Okay? It, God has ordained the gathering of the church as a sacrament. It is something we come together for. We are equipped through that we then go out and do the work from. That is what has made it sacred. It is Christ that makes that gathering sacred. When you bring something that is not of Christ, you know, when, when it has nothing to do with the worship and the equipping and going and doing the work of, but you bring something secular into that, you have blasphemed that gathering that God has ordained. It doesn't matter whether you call it a pulpit or a podium. It doesn't matter if he was standing in front of the stage or off to the side of the stage. It doesn't matter about any of that. Because the gathering is ordained by God. It is his commandment to us that we are to honor. And when you use it, something like that, you are blaspheming that command. Doesn't that go back, though, to why there's such a small or such a huge lack of understanding about the importance of attending church mm-hmm. and what the purpose of the church is actually there for? Do you think sitting among those people sitting among there in that building, watching Trump, listening to him, that were there attending this extravaganza, and I use that word because I think I saw them use it at some point yeah. describing this gathering. How many of those in attendance do you think were actually there because Trump was going to be there speaking? How many do you think maybe were there because it was Christmas and that's the only time of the year they show up? Basically meaning, you know, do you agree that there's a huge misunderstanding when it comes to the importance of attending church by so many who profess to be Christian? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's a very strange thing about coming together on the Lord's Day. You've got some people who are, your, as you kind of just alluded to, your Christmas and Easter Christians, that the only two times a year that they ever darken the door of a church is on those two days. And, and generally speaking, it's more out of a sense of tradition than any concern about actually what the purpose of Christmas or Easter is about. Um the interesting thing is, you know, when we as Christians go out and we, we, we fulfill the Great Commission, you know, Jesus teaches you know, teaches us in Matthew 28 that uh, he says, All authority, in verse 18, all authority in heaven has on, on earth and on earth has been given to me. Go there, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So that's the first thing. We're making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we make disciples. We baptize them in the, in the name of God and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When we're gathering together and you have the, 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 the men that God has equipped, 
to be overseers, under shepherds in the church, the pastors, the elders. What are they doing? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The scriptures are to be expositive for the purpose of commanding us to obey Christ. To go out and do all that he has said to do. So there is such a lack of understanding, as you said, about what is the nature of the church. And I remember when you and I first kind of talked about, hey, let's talk about a topic where about, about this issue of, of church attendance. Because there are people that say, oh, you can't tell me I have to attend church to be a Christian. I mean, like, like it was this dripping disdain in the way it was presented. I remember one of the conversations that developed on Twitter. Um, it might have been in reference to something that's probably either Ecky or Gabe Hughes. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Ecky's usually been the lightning rod as of late. Gabe Hughes just gets banned every time he posts something. Um, but it was a discussion about church attendance. And there was a lot of people who were saying, oh, you, you, you know, going to church isn't what makes you a Christian. You can't tell people they have to go to church. And I thought it very, very interesting because Christ himself tells us, teach these Christians to observe all that I have commanded you. And when we are making disciples, what happens? You know, we are changed. We are made into a new creation. You know, you go... Um, 2 Corinthians 5.16 From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have been made new. We are a new creation. Why is it then, as a Christian, I am commanded to obey Christ? Because I'm not saved by my obedience, but I am saved and then I obey. It is James that tells us that uh, you know that faith without works is dead. A, a professed faith that has nothing backing it up is a dead faith. It has nothing to it. Why? Because a professed faith that has nothing reveals that you are not a new creation. So if you are a new creation and you desire to, to be obedient to the words of God, then you're going to go to Hebrews 10 and you're going to see where he tells us that we are to, uh, you know, da, 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 I lost my verse. <laughs> I hate when I do this. Um, but we are told not to, you know, forsake the gathering of the brethren as is the habit of some, uh, Hebrews 10. So we are to come together. Uh, 10.24, and let us consider how to stir up one another and love the good works. How? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another at, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we come together. Why? So we can stir one, and up, uh, stir one another to love and good works. So the idea that you would be a Christian, yet reject the command of Christ to meet together. You're, you're doing exactly what the author of Hebrews says here. You're neglecting to meet together. This meeting together that draws us together, that stirs us up 
to love one another and to show and to you know, to do our good works so that we might go do the work of proclaiming the gospel because we all of this is evidence that we are a new creation with new hearts and new desire so rich i absolutely agree with you that there is a lack of understanding as to the purpose of the church and why we are commanded to come together. Because you've got some who believe, I don't have to go at all. I can say I'm a Christian and that's good enough. In which case, they're not being obedient to the command of God. In fact, you know, people who say, well, you know, you, you should shut down your church. Virtual church is good enough. You can't because we are told we are to come together so that we might stir one another to love and good works. We come together to do that. We are equipped. We are given gifts so that we can lead and teach and love and do you know, uh, you know, administrations and all these things. All these gifts that we're given for the edification of the body, according to Scripture. You can't do that from a video screen. You're not under the authority of your elders who can hold you ac accountable under church discipline from a virtual screen. You can't do any of those things. So the person who rejects that is rejecting that command and is rejecting the fact that we have been commanded to come together for the express purpose of edifying one another. So I absolutely agree with you. And then you've got the other side of the coin who have no understanding why they come together and they rock star applaud a former president. Well, we could go through and I had it, had it prepared a list of basically reasons as a Christian why you should attend church and it's in the show note links some of, some of that material, but my question is, and we're not talking about those that have a desire mm -hmm. to attend church but are physically unable Correct. for whatever reason. We're talking about a professed Christian who says, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. We're not talking about someone that's a shut-in or disabled or absolutely has to work on a Sunday or lives in an area that there absolutely is no solid Bible-believing church within a decent card drive from their home. We're talking about someone that is living in an area that does have solid churches but do not attend for whatever excuse that they come up with. And I like what Nathaniel Jolly said about when someone says, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. That's like saying I don't go to the gym because it's filled with fat mm -hmm. people. But my question if you happen to be one of those that think that, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church, not have a desire to go to church, I have no desire to serve others by going to church, and that is one of the purposes of church is to serve one another. We'll get to the primary mission of the church shortly, but one of the purposes of church is to be there to serve others, to help others. If you have no desire whatsoever to do any of these things, what makes you think you're even a Christian if you think that because you've said a prayer or professed Christ and you can live alone and do virtual church and study online if you're even studying, and most of these people rarely ever read their Bible weekly, much less daily, what makes you think you're actually saved if you're showing no fruit of salvation? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's... This is what it, I mean. We think about the person who says, "I can claim," and, and sadly, there are people who do this. That I can be a Christian and I don't have to stop fornicating. I can be a Christian and I don't have to stop lying. I can be a Christian and I don't have to, st uh, and I can hate people. There's an entire book of scripture about this called First John that actually says when you 
when you blatantly disobey the word of God, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Okay, You are not a, 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 a member of the church. You are not in Christ if you are living in, practicing in, unrepentant in sin. Okay, So when you reject a command of God and say, I can be a Christian and I don't have to do that, what you are saying is that God is not Lord over your life. And let's get something straight. You don't make God your Lord. You don't make Christ your Lord. He is Lord. You either bow the knee to him in, in submission, or you will bow the knee on the day of judgment as you are cast into the fires of hell. Christ is Lord. Okay, that, that's just a simple fact. We don't make him Lord. That's that sinner's prayer stuff that we're going to get into another time. But, you, you know, when we say he is our Lord and our Savior, we are saying that we are submitting to Christ and all of his commandments. And, and I think it's a product of kind of this evangelifish teachings that allows for people who either on one ditch believe that they can not go to church and reject the command of Christ to gather together, and yet they can still be a Christian, or on the other side of the ditch, gather together and practice things that have no business in the church, such as a political stump speech. And I, this is going to make a lot of people mad from a man who is not a Christian. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to stand by it, and you can dislike me all you want. Donald Trump is not a Christian, okay? He he knows the lingo. He knows the things to support that would, would get our votes. He did some wonderful things in office, but his moral character is highly suspect. His his uh, One of his chief spiritual advisors was a flat heretic, Paula White, Okay, she's one of these NAR heretics. And I don't ever want to have somebody tell me again, well, I think he's a baby Christian. Donald Trump has had many years at this point to come to grow in maturity in Christ and show something, some change, some, you know, as, as John the Baptist would say, show fruit in keeping with repentance. This is a man that when he ran in 2016 was asked, have you ever asked Christ for forgiveness of anything? And he blatantly said, no, he had nothing to ask for forgiveness for. And he has never shown anything more to, to demonstrate that he is a repentant, born-again Christian. Yes, he supported good moral causes. He was one of the most pro-life presidents in, in modern history. Absolutely. He fought to defend the, 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 the rights of religious freedom. Absolutely. Fought to defend the uh, the First Amendment. Absolutely. None of those are Christian make. There are atheists, I kid you not, atheists who are against abortion. Okay? Well, go ahead. I agree with I agree with everything you said, but I want it to be known. And I was accused of this online of just being another one of those Trump haters. No, I don't hate Trump. I think he did a great job as yep. president. And I honestly believe the country would be better off now with him serving a second term, at least economically and, mili and in a military point of view, would be a lot better off Absolutely. than Biden. And if Trump was to run again for president, more than likely me and my family would vote for him as a president because of his stance when it comes to America and American values. I, however, under no circumstances believe that he is a true born, 
born again believer in Jesus Christ for the reasons that you just mentioned, and I've seen nothing to indicate that he has turned from those beliefs, that he has actually turned to Christ, and that he's actually exhibiting any of the fruit of salvation that's mentioned in the Bible. Now, I know what's coming next because I got this online the last few days. Before you start screaming, judge not, judge not, judge not, I have a question for you. Was John the Baptist beheaded for sitting back and applauding what Herod was doing, or was he beheaded because he was calling out the sin of King Herod, having married his brother's wife, much less all of the apostles except John were martyred for their faith and Stephen? What was it they were martyred because of? It wasn't because they were feeding the poor or giving clothes to the you know, those that needed clothing or providing homes for the homeless. It was not because of that. They were martyred because they were proclaiming the biblical way of salvation and calling out sin and calling people to repent. And that is what Chris and I are doing now when it, in terms of Donald Trump. Granted, no, we don't know his heart, but the Bible gives us indicators as to how to judge righteously and how to look at a person's walk that claims to be a Christ, they should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what? In the Bible, we're actually told and commanded to judge those inside the church, meaning those who proclaim to be a Christian. Because then later Paul tells us to cast the evil person out from among us, meaning heretics and those that are false Christians and false professors of, of, of Christ. The, the judge not, and we did an episode on this mm -hmm. back some time ago, but sadly, people do not understand, and I saw some comments in regards to what we're discussing now about Trump and his salvation. Well, you shouldn't judge him. He's done a lot of good for the country, or I don't know the man's heart, so I can't really speak. Yes, you can. You're just too scared to open your mouth, yeah. period. Well, and <laughs> there's always that thing that I, I, I love to point out, and I don't do this to be mean. If you are telling me, judge not, why are you judging me? Because you had to make a judgment that I was doing something wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I said this to a person on Twitter one time, and you could literally see the gears grind and the smoke start to pour out because they just could not, they could not make the connection. When you tell a person, judge not, you have then taken scripture and you've applied it to somebody and said, this says you're not supposed to do this, therefore, you, but you're doing it. So therefore, I'm telling you you're wrong because Scripture. You've made a judgment. To tell someone judge not is to make a judgment. Now, read the rest of chapter 7 in, in Matthew, where it talks about to not judge hypocritically, as if there are no sin of your own that you yourself have had to be forgiven of. Rather, judge righteously, knowing that you yourself are an individual deserving of, Christ, of God's condemnation, yet because of Christ, who has redeemed you, you then come to someone in their sin and say, let me help you, brother. Let me help you, sister. All right? There is a righteous form of judgment. Well, you're judging him and saying he's not saved. Right. Go to 1 John, the, the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, right? 
the one who says for six chapters, if you hate your brother but profess to love Christ, the truth is not in you. If you say you have sin, you have no sin, the truth is not in you. If you do this, that you are not of the faith. If you do that, you're not of the faith. Six chapters, which you know, reveal the wicked state of the person who is not in Christ yet still claiming Christ but living in sin. So again. You got to do this consistently throughout Scripture, and and by the way, for the person who I I saw this today, Rich, you're gonna love this. Uh, one of our our friends, uh, you know, on on Twitter, Anonymu, I was referring to something, and or, or no, it wasn't Anonymu. He he carried on the conversation. Coasty Hen had made reference to how we are undeserving of God's love, that we are saved despite our, uh, our the fact that we don't deserve it, that he, his love is showed uh, showered upon us despite that we are wretched and terrible and sinful and rebellious, and yet in his mercy he showers his love upon us through Christ. And this person tried to use the Imago Dei argument, tried to say, well, because we are made in the image and likeness of Christ, there must be something good in us. By the way, Jesus, you know, God made everything in six days and he declared that it was good. Right. Neglecting the fact that the rest of Scripture then talks about how we fell in, the, in Adam, how we are under the curse of sin, that we are dead in trespasses and sin, that we are rebels to God, that we deserve his wrath. Uh, again, this is what we're talking about. You don't put someone who's an unbeliever by his own actions and by his own words and put him up behind the pulpit to speak to the congregation from his heart, an unredeemed heart that is still bound up in sin and in desperate need of salvation of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church, Rich, I want you to go through this with the, what you sent me from you know, MacArthur. I think it was really great. The purpose of the church speaks to this issue. It is what we are here for. It is what we are about is the unsaved. There is a reason we come together. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. I was just going to say while you're on that, and this goes back to what we said at the beginning of the program, and this is the problem among American evangelicalism today. People, well, not people, but churches, a majority of churches, and when I say churches, I'm not talking about solid Bible-believing churches that are actually proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. I'm talking all these others like this one, this particular, what's his name, Pastor Jeffries? Jeffress. Jeff, Jeffress? Yeah. But this is, this is why the state of the American church is in the disaster that it's in. Barna, Barna, I'm sorry, I cannot talk. <laughs> I've been at this too long. Barna, the, the, one you know that does all the polls and everything and you know you have to kind of take some of these polls with a grain of salt but this one hits it nail the nail on the head they did they recently did a poll and one of the things they found was and this is stated and you can go to barna.com and find it but it says churchgoers largely experience and have come to expect positive emotions and outcomes by going to church now, think about that. We don't go to church to make us feel better, at least not biblically we shouldn't be doing that. But this is what church has become in America. They, The ones that actually attend these buildings that call themselves churches, they're going because they want to get some type of emotional high. They want to be 
feel puffed up. They want to not necessarily be encouraged, but basically made to feel good in the state that their life happens to be in. Mm -hmm. And it goes on. It says, um, overall church adults say they leave worship service services, feeling inspired, encouraged. And it goes on. It says a plurality of church adults also express always feeling like attending service was not, was not, Oh, excuse me, was the most important experience they had all week. So we have two words in here, experience and emotions. And is that not what American evangelicalism has turned into, is emotions and experience? And is that not why more churches do not preach about sin and righteousness and obedience? Because we don't want to make these people feel bad, because if if they leave here feeling bad or feeling guilty, they're not going to show up again next week, and our collection plate is going to be reduced, and we're not going to be able to add this $5 million wing onto our mega campus. I mean... Honestly, when it comes down to it, is that one not one of the reasons why sin is not preached from the pulpit yeah. more in today's world? Because people are too worried about offending someone sitting there. The, the, most of these so-called pastors are more worried about offending that donor on the first row than they are about offending Christ. Which gets to our next point. Church is not here. And when I say church, I'm talking about the the, the body of true believers in Christ. We're not, they're not here. We're not here to make each other just feel happy, slappy, good, like these so-called churches do so much. But sadly, even among many solid Bible-believing churches, the primary mission of the church is neglected and forgotten because we become so focused on other issues within the church, things like fellowship and serving and feeding the poor and clothing and, and providing shelter to the homeless, we've become so wrapped up in so many things, and we can even become so wrapped up in actually teaching the Bible that we completely forget the point of all of it. When the church is to train up the brethren in righteousness and to teach all that Christ commanded, and to build up one another, but for what purpose? To what end? Um, someone, and I've, they posted this, and I've seen it worded different ways at different times, but someone posted, the church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered. Empowered to do what? If Christ had intended on a perfect church with perfect fellowship, perfect attendance, perfect teaching, why would he have ever sent Saul to disband the first century church when basically that was the only time there ever actually was a perfect quote-unquote church on earth? You had all the disciples, you had all the apostles gathered, gathered together, sharing with one another, meeting from house to house, but guess what? They weren't doing what Christ commanded because at at the end of Matthew 28, when Christ was on the mountain with the 500 and proclaimed the Great Commission, his two words, first two words in that were, go forth. It was not build a church and gather together and puff each other up and take care of one another. It was go forth. The first century, that very first church was not doing that. And next thing you know, Saul of Tarsus arises 
starts persecuting the church. And guess what happened after that persecution? They scattered and went forth. And as they scattered and went forth, they were proclaiming the biblical way of salvation. And I know we have some very, very dear pastor friends and brothers who are missionaries, who are church planters. But I have to point this out to you, and I'm going to ask this to you, Chris, in a question. When Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch, what were they sent out to do? They were sent out to make disciples, to plant churches, to preach the gospel. Okay. All right. Quote, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because we didn't discuss this. (laughs) Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Paul and Barnabas were sent out to plant churches. They were sent out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were sent out to proclaim the biblical way of salvation. Church planting was a result of that gospel proclamation. Mm -hmm. It never states that when they left Antioch that they ever intended on planting churches because the first thing they did when they went to these other areas was go into the synagogues. When the synagogues and those Jews rejected what they were preaching, they left and some left with them after the proclamation of the gospel, and that's how churches Mm -hmm. arose, was from that proclamation of the gospel. Antioch did not send them out to, say, um, Philippi, to, okay, go into Philippi, see if you can raise donations, let's start a church of Jesus Christ in this area. No, they were sent out to go proclaim the gospel. Church planning was a result of that gospel proclamation. In today's world, more times than not, it's done in reverse. A church, is they find an area that does not have a solid church. Someone goes in, plants a church, raises funds, has a building, rents a building, starts inviting people in. That is actually opposite of the biblical model for church planning. Church, biblical church planning is a result from the proclamation of the way of salvation. And I know some brothers may disagree with this, but open your Bible and read it. And if there's anything in there that I've missed in that section of Acts, when it talks about Paul and Barnabas being sent out, if it mentions mentions they were sent out to plant a church, mm-hmm. point it out to me, because I am yet to find it. No, and I, I think that is... Go ahead. Go, go ahead, brother. No, 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 no you go keep ahead. On. I was going to say, you know, I think, I, think, like, I think the best way to explain it is the way you said it. Because when you do see it, it says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have you know, prepared for them. Um, and so Christ, in, through the Holy Spirit, says they are set apart for the specific purpose of the work that he has given them to do. And, what he, and you were absolutely right. As they go out, they are proclaiming the gospel first in the synagogue and then to the, to the Gentiles in every place they went. And at, there's a re, as a result of that, churches are born out of the proclamation of the gospel. So you're absolutely correct. And I think that is, when we talk about church planting, that's what we should be talking about. You're going out and proclaiming the gospel. And you're, you know, and, and the work that comes as a result of that is the planting of churches in those areas as the gospel goes forth. And I absolutely agree with you. Because that's, I think, one of the big things. And I, and I, and I want you to uh, go through this, this, uh, portion, this passage that you sent me with from MacArthur. I think this was absolutely makes clear what you're trying to say because when it boils right down to it we have a specific mission as christians on in this world and everything about our coming together at the church equips us for this mission 
And that, I think, is when you watch a Robert Jeffress political extravaganza. You know, his, his big patriotism lollapalooza, which is what he did earlier this year, I think on July 4th, um, that the whole misapplication of the purpose of the church is lost. You know, it is turned into something about this, hey, yay America, yay. I mean, and by the way, I mean, you're talking, you know, if you're listening to this and getting a little hot under the collar at Rich and I, remember, we are we are individuals who believe that liberty is, an, is a necessity. I did a solo episode talking about, I think it's good to fight for liberty. Okay, so please understand, we will say it again, even though people will not hear this. Um, we believe that while he was in office, President Trump did a very good job on a multitude of things, and it would have been better for him to be continuing office rather than the sorry excuse of a president that we have now, who barely is uh, has uh, you know brain function, who says and does things that border on like, dude, you're taking things out of the Nazi playbook. You're 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 dividing uh, people to, into clean and unclean. Okay. Um, so yes, we say again that it, he did good things and we support protecting American citizens. We support you know, doing things according to the Constitution. But apart from the existence of America in, in 21st century, the gospel, the church, and the, the proclamation of this message is, a, is the same no matter where you are no matter what political system you're under, okay? It is the same gospel preached here that is preached in the Middle East in heavily Muslim-controlled countries with massive persecution. It is the same gospel preached in North Korea where if you so much as uh, they think you're a Christian, you could be breaking rocks in a labor camp or you could be put to death. It is the same uh, message preached in you know in Western Europe. It is the same message preached in the, the 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 darkest part of Africa by missionaries. It is the same message, no matter what culture you're in, no matter what uh, socio political socio economic political system you're under. It is the same mission for the church. It is the same message of the church, and we are all commanded to do this, no matter what environment we're in. We do not win souls for the purpose of winning culture or winning political uh, you know, uh, stature. We win souls for Christ. We preach the gospel of Christ. And we do so equipping the body of Christ to exist in whatever culture it finds itself in. No matter what your socioeconomics are, no matter what your politics are, whether you're a democratic republic, a uh, mob-ruled democracy, or a tyranny. You are a, we are still the church, and we equip the body of Christ to live, act, think, and do in whatever culture it finds itself in. And I think one of the mistakes, Rich, and, and, and again, I want you to, to go through this, uh, uh, this section that you sent me, we have to remember that the purpose of the church isn't sociopolitical. The purpose of a church is something entirely different. We are a light set upon a hill, okay? We're not shield, you know, what did Christ say? You don't put a candle under the basket. You put it up for everybody to see. Sit in a shining city set on a hill. We are separate and apart. We are something unique and distinct. And when you blend it 
with the things of this world to achieve something cultural, you blaspheme the purpose of the church. I will say this again. Amen. You you take the the purpose of the church in 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 and its may is is to equip the body of Christ to have a specific mission and as part of that equipping we teach our brethren how to live, act, think and do within a particular culture which even includes our politics. Oh by the way Ed Stetzer, yeah, you can teach uh, Christianity and how apply it in, in, in within politics. Um, you just like to only say that to conservatives. Try doing that with liberals. See how far that takes you on your next uh, your next tweet. Um, sorry, I had to throw that in there. That was a really dumb thing for him to <laughs> say this week. Um, but the point of that, what I'm getting at is, we still equip Christians with the Word of God. We still tell them, hey, if you're in this environment and this culture is warring against God, this is how we can apply that in culture. I'm not saying don't fight for these things. I'm saying it is not, you don't blend that into the church. That is not the purpose of the church. And what Jeffress did was absolutely wrong and it was blasphemous. But at the same time, you got people who say, well, I could be a Christian and not need to go to church. That's just as blasphemous because you're telling God you don't have to obey what he said. Sorry, I got a little bit on stump there. But yeah, did, so the whole, we've got this one purpose that you were already kind of taking us in that direction. The church, it, its existence has a purpose. It has a mission. What is that? Well, first we need to distinguish between the purpose of the church and the primary mission of the church. And these are questions I actually started asking myself over the last few months, especially since I've started back teaching evangelism and I started going through the scriptures deeper and harder and researching renowned pastors such as J.C. Ryle and C.H. Spurgeon, and it started becoming more and more obvious to me that not only had I missed the point, so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are missing the point still. And then I came across a sermon series by Pastor John MacArthur, so if you want to say, I don't know what I'm talking about, then you can take it up with Pastor John MacArthur and tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I know most of our listeners take great stock in Pastor MacArthur. So if you don't take my word for it, you can take his word for it. And, and then if you need further proof, you can take J.C. Rowell's word for it or C.H. Spurgeon's word for it. Um, I'm, I'm just a dumb old country boy, but them three men know a lot more than I do and have studied and, and a lot more renowned than I am. <laughs> so like I said, um, you can check out those, and they, they will be in the links in the show. But Pastor MacArthur did a sermon series, and it's really old, but it was a five-part series, and part one is listed in the show notes under Primary Mission of the Church. And his sermon series title was The Making, the Making Disciples of All Nations. Now, taking from that sermon and, and notes from other portions of that series, I'm going to share with you what some of what Pastor MacArthur had to say. What then is the church to be doing? What then is the church's mission, objective, goal, and priority? Is it fellowship? Listen, if God wanted us just to exist for fellowship, we ought to be saved and taken instantly to heaven where fellowship is perfect, where there is nothing to violate fellowship, and nothing to break fellowship, and everything to stimulate fellowship, and perfect harmony, and perfect order, and perfect love, and perfect communion, and perfect communication. 
No, if fellowship was our purpose, God would had God would have taken us to heaven. Teaching, if our purpose is that we may know doctrine and know knowledge, the best thing God could do is take us immediately to heaven, where we would know as we are known instantaneously and all teaching ceases because everybody knows everything they need to know. No, if the purpose of the church was teaching, we'd be gone. Well, what about praise? If God wanted perfect praise out of his church, he'd take them to heaven too, because that's where perfect praise occurs. Our praise here is muddled up, just like our teaching is. If all God wanted was fellowship, then let's go to heaven and have perfect fellowship. If all God wants is that we have understanding and knowledge of his word, then let's get to heaven and get perfect knowledge and not have to listen to a whole lot of teachers and try to figure out who's right. If all God wants out of us is praise, then let's get up there with the angelic chorus and the redeemed of the ages, and let's get on with our eternal praise. The point is this, and I want you to get it. There is only, re- <clears throat> excuse me, there is only one reason we are here and one reason alone, and that is that we may seek and save those who are lost. It is, it is as the Father sent the Son that the Son sends us. If the Father wanted fellowship with the Son, he would have kept him in heaven. If the Father wanted perfect knowledge with the Son, he would have kept him in heaven. If the Father wanted the perfect praise that was his, he would have kept him in heaven. He wouldn't need to send him to earth. But if the Father wanted to redeem fallen men, he had to send him to this earth. That's the only reason we're here. There is no other reason. Now, I hope that simplifies it for you. That's it. So when you evaluate your Christian commitment and you evaluate how you're using your life, ask yourself one question. Am I involved in winning lost men and women to Jesus Christ? Is that where my time and energy and effort and talent and money is going to do that? That's the only reason you're here. So unless you're committed to the fact that we are here for the responsibility of winning a lost world to Jesus Christ, then then you better re-examine why you are existing. Fellowship, teaching, praise are not the mission of the church. They're part of the preparation and the training for the mission. I mean, a great athlete does a lot of things in training, but the training is not to be confused with the competing and the winning. It is not to be confused with running the race. All the exercise and preparation you go through in your education is not to be confused with succeeding in your profession. And when the church meets for fellowship, teaching, and praise, all that is only preparation for the running of the race and the winning of lost people to Christ. That's why we're here. That's it. Now, to understand that is to be able to come to the passage in Matthew chapter 28, and I'll call your attention back to it, with understanding, here's the purpose of the church, so simply stated. Everything Christ did when he was here on earth was for this. Everything we're to do is for this. And I'll add my own two cents. The reason Christ came to earth, sacrificed himself, and rose from the grave was to seek and save the lost. The entirety of the Bible is the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ and redemption to God for fallen man. Paul writes, and I don't have my note in front of me, but we are given the ministry of reconciliation in order to go forth and 
teach others and proclaim that ministry of reconciliation, meaning to proclaim the way of salvation. As Christians, our purpose on earth is the same reason that Christ came to earth. It is to seek and save the lost. It is other things with that, but Jesus Christ, when he sent the disciples out two by two, yes, he he healed the sick and cast out demons while proclaiming the way of salvation. We are to feed the poor and, and help the homeless, but we are also to do that while proclaiming the God, biblical way of salvation. God miraculously appeared to Paul and commanded him to submit in the book of Acts on his road to Damascus. God could do that now. He could appear to someone or appear to in their mind and call them to repentance. An angel to proclaim the gospel. Look at Peter in the book of Acts, when God sent an angel to Peter to bring him to Cornelius. He didn't send the angel to proclaim the gospel. He sent the angel to go get Peter to bring him back to proclaim the gospel. That's why we're here, is to proclaim the way of salvation, to proclaim Jesus Christ, to make him and his word known. That is the reason we are ultimately our primary mission as Christians is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, even among many, many, many very sound biblical churches, evangelism is a side note. That should be the absolute primary focus. And granted, you may be supporting a missionary. Your church might be supporting a missionary, but that does not negate your individual responsibility as a true born-again believer in Christ that does not negate your responsibility for individual evangelism. And there's many ways that you can be evangelizing the lost. You may be a stay-at-home mom raising your children and teaching them the Bible, teaching them what God has said, teaching them the way of salvation. You may be handing out tracts. You may be leaving tracts. You may be open-air preaching. You may be involved in street ministry. You may just be involved in talking to people as you go in individual witnessing. But by whatever means you're doing it, we should be and are commanded to go forth and proclaim the way of salvation. Why? Name, Chris, I'm going to put this to you as a question. If Christ came to seek and save the lost, if that was his primary mission on earth was to bring a means of salvation, a means of redemption to fallen mankind. And to the Jews, that was very strange because they thought they were the chosen people of God and they were meaning Christ came to them first. But if you recall, when Peter returned from visiting Cornelius, he was rebuked by the other Jews for having gone and visited the Gentiles until they realized God was granting the gift of salvation to the Gentiles as well, and they praised God for that. Mm -hmm. That was the mystery of all time, was the fact that God was going to redeem all of mankind to himself, meaning men from every nation, every tribe, and every country. Those that he called out, he would save. For the Jews, that was strange because for several hundred years, they had nothing to do with the Gentiles. They looked down on the Gentiles. But yet, God decided in his sovereign grace and compassion to redeem fallen mankind to himself. And guess what? Instead of sending angels, instead of appearing to 
lost souls himself. He blesses broken, fallen, unworthy vessels to proclaim his way of salvation, not only to seek and save the lost, but God is more glorified in using a broken vessel than he is if he appeared and did it himself. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we we have this unique privilege because God takes, as you say, broken, busted vessels, fit for nothing but refuse, puts them back together, cleans them up, makes them fit for his use. So he takes a, a, a dirty, filthy rebel and makes them a child of God. And then he puts them to work and says, go out and proclaim my message, which will then in turn bring others into the family of God. Not by our work. We don't make them saved. Nothing about what we do saves them. We are simply the tools in the master's hands. So he could certainly have chosen any number of ways, if he so chose, wanted to, to have the gospel proclaimed. He could have sent angels from on high and constantly, you know, like loudspeaker preaching it. But he takes these vessels fit for refuse. And he makes them fit for his use and puts them on display to say, this is what I have accomplished through Christ. And then we become this trophy of his grace. And we have the privilege of being a tool in the master's hands to see others brought to salvation. So when the church gathers, as MacArthur said, it is for the express purpose of equipping us as Christians to go and do the work of the proclamation of Jesus Christ and his way of salvation. The idea that you would then take that and turn it into something else, like this circus sideshow that happened at First Baptist Dallas. Or you say it's not necessary because Jesus saved me and that's enough. To reject what God has ordained so that he may equip Christians to do the work of the proclamation of the gospel is to reject the work that he is doing by which his name is glorified. When we come together for corporate prayer, for the worship in, in music, for the worship in the, in the teaching of the word, for the worship in which we come together to do the one another's, to love one another, to build each other up, to uh, correct one another, etc. We are doing all the work necessary to equip each other to go do that primary mission. So it's like when you go to the gym and you got a buddy with you, and that buddy's putting you through your paces, or you got a you got a uh, a private coach or instructor who's putting you through your paces, so that you're getting stronger and stronger, and then you can go out and compete because you've had this person or these people or this team of people training you and equipping you, so you can go out and compete and and win the gold, right? 
That's the gathering of the church. God has appointed pastors and teachers and elders. He has equipped evangelists. He's equipped, uh, you know, people with gifts of help. So, you know, people who pray all for the purpose that we might, we might equip one another to do the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they, we come together for all of that. So to either on one hand reject church attendance, and again, we're going to make this clarification. We are not saying for the per person who for a season because of illness, because this unique work situation, or because of family uh, issue, maybe you've got a loved one who's a, who you are a 24-7 caretaker for, etc. We're not talking about those. We're not talking about the individual who lives in the most remote place in the world who has been given the gospel for the first time and there's not a church anywhere near them and those type of things do happen. We are talking about in this day and age when there is a church on every corner um, rejecting the gathering of the saints. You don't understand the purpose you don't understand what Christ has given you and why he's commanded you. But then to turn around and do like Robert Jeffress, my words are, you have to answer for this. You have to stand before Christ one day and say, I know I was supposed to equip your sheep to do the work of evangelism, but I thought it was so very important to win, to, you know, win back our, our liberties that I, I, I took that time away from them and I made them more concerned about the, 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 president, the former president. My word, sir, you're going to be held accountable for that. Why? Why would you take something so precious as the gospel and shelve it? And don't tell me, well, he preached the gospel and gave the sinner's prayer. That's not the work of equipping the, God, the, uh, the people of God. Taking a watered-down message in a, in a limp-wristed prayer that says, now you're part of the family, now come listen to the president. My word, sir, you're going to be standing before him and having to give account for that one day. And the people that applauded this who thought this was such a great idea, you've lost sight. You've lost sight of the first love. Who do you worship? Let me give you a clue. It's not Donald J. Trump. You worship Jesus Christ, and it's not because he puts you in America. It's because despite your wicked, evil heart, you deserve, and you deserve hell, he redeemed you. If you stand in a church and somebody invites the former president of the United States to speak up in the pulpit, I hope you grab your pastor's ear. What are you doing, sir? How dare you blaspheme God's pulpit in such a manner? How dare you neglect the flock of Jesus Christ? That's not your flock. You're an under-shepherd. You were appointed by Christ, the shepherd, over his flock. And you will be held accountable for all of it. People be praying for these pastors because this is dangerous. This is putting a golden calf up on the stage and saying, that's who you need to worship. 
Donald Trump was a good president. I'm, I praise God for him. But he is not to be worshipped. And he is not to be standing behind a pulpit saying anything about the things of God. He needs Jesus Christ and he needs to get saved. And Pastor Jeffress needs to be pulling him aside and proclaiming the gospel to him in its fullness. That is a blasphemy what happened that day. And you people who call yourselves Christians who say, how dare a church be open during an age of pandemic? How dare they not? How dare they not? Well, you can't say I have to go to church. Christ himself said it. I'm just a messenger. Sorry, I got on a soapbox, brother. <laughs> Get up here before That's I start fine, going bro. crazy. <laughs> That's fine. We need to remember the Bible says law to the proud and grace to the humble. Sadly, in today's age, we've got to make sure we're doing both, meaning we need to proclaim God's moral law and the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is the solution to the problem. We cannot, especially in this day and age, present the solution without completely explaining to people the problem that they're currently in. And when, sadly, and I, I understand because it, a lot of times it's just a matter of terminology, but when we say share the gospel, claim the gospel, in my opinion, we really need to start rephrasing that and be specific and say proclaiming the way of salvation. Because if you look and study Christ's examples when it comes to the way he shared himself and proclaimed the way of salvation, there are several different examples, but one would, would, would be the rich young ruler. Christ gave him the God's moral law and then sent him away without ever proclaiming the truth and salvation to him. Um, he was very compassionate with the woman at the well. But when it came to the stiff-necked religious leaders, he was very hard and very strict, even to, to individuals. So we, and that's part of learning evangelism, is learning the difference and learning how to approach different situations. There's no cookie-cutter solution. But sadly, in today's age, when the gospel is actually preached or proclaimed, it's only the promises of salvation. It's not the promises, I mean, excuse me, it's not the problems that mankind are currently in. Because Christ himself said, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. <coughs> Today, more people than not proclaim righteousness and, and use John 3.16 and say that they shared the gospel. But that's not the entirety of the actual gospel message. We have got to make sure we're explaining to people and defining sin and defining terms as Christ defined it. That's why I've started saying, instead of saying proclaim the gospel, I've started speaking about proclaiming the way of salvation, because that includes all of it. Because especially in today's age, when you have millions upon millions of quote-unquote churched individuals, you don't have true sheep of Christ. More times than not, you're dealing with a goat. Mm -hmm. And a very, very sad statistic back from that Barna poll and study 
is among professing Christians within Protestant denominations. They overwhelmingly think that Catholics are Christians. They think Mormons are Christians. They think Jehovah's Witnesses are Christians. And guess what? Out of all of that, the group that's out evangelizing that claims to be studying their Bible and doing these things more than anyone else are Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. So the cults are out evangelizing the Protestants. And sadly, throughout every denomination, and there's thousands, and we never know for sure who is actually a true, truly saved individual in Christ, but the Bible leaves us a guideline to go by, and it is fruit of salvation, fruit of the Spirit. You shall know them by their works. You shall know them by what's coming out of their mouth. And yes, sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish between a baby Christian and a truly born-again Christian that's been walking with Christ for many years. I know personally know some individuals I truly believe are saved and have been attending church for 20 years, and they're still not off of baby formula, much less on milk. But that's because of lack of study and preparation and Bible reading on their part, and lack of prayer on their part. Part of part of striving for maturity in Christ is growing in Christ. And the more we grow in Christ, the more we love Christ. And the more we understand things and issues that Chris and I are discussing tonight. So if a pastor is listening to this episode, if you take nothing else away from this, I want to encourage you, if you're not teaching and discipling your congregation about evangelism, if you're not speaking on the importance of evangelism, if you're not pointing out that the primary primary mission of the church is to go out into the world and evangelize the lost, I would encourage you to start doing that. There are really good, solid resources out there on evangelism if you need help on how to teach evangelism. There are resources out there. There's also some really, really bad ones that will basically teach you how to get them into church and get them to take an interest in things of Christ with the hopes of maybe getting them saved. That's part of that whole seeker-sensitive movement type of methodology is, well, we got to get them into church and start teaching them. No, that's still backwards from what the Bible teaches us. Church is for saved individuals period. And people will still argue with me to this day about that episode Chris and I did back a couple of years ago, where we stated that church is for Christians. Church was never meant to be an evangelistic means, meaning that inviting someone to church was never meant to be a method of evangelizing. Otherwise, Christ would never have told the disciples to go forth, to go into the world, to go into go to the ends of the earth. Guess what, America? We are the ends of the earth. At that point in time, we were not known about when it came to other nations. We are the end of the earth. Americans like to think we're the center of the universe when it comes to Christianity, but guess what? We're not. And in this day and age, people claim wanting to keep in God we trust on, on national monuments and on the dollar bill. What we need to be putting on there is in Christ we trust, because when you say the word God, whatever God that person happens to follow is the one that they think of. And sadly, in this nation today, 
more people are following a Christ that they created in their own mind versus the one that the Bible speaks of emphatically and undeniably without question. That is the only true Christ is the Christ of the Bible because you can create a Christ of your own liking. You can create a false Christ that you follow. And if the Christ that you claim is okay with the sin that you love, you're following a false Christ Amen. because your Christ cannot save you because your Christ does not exist. Amen. But I, I really enjoyed this discussion with my brother Chris tonight. I know we've gone long. This will be our last episode for 2021. Um, we will be back, Lord willing, come 1st of January. But whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the way of salvation at least once a day. And if you are an individual living in an area that you cannot find a solid Bible-believing church, reach out to us. We have many brothers and sisters that do nothing but help people find good, solid local churches. Amen. If your church needs help in areas of equipping the congregation and teaching them about evangelism, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are there that are more than happy to come alongside you and provide assistance and to help you reach out to us and we can put you in touch with some of those individuals as well. But I hope and pray that this particular episode has been of benefit to some of you out there. And I would like to thank each and every one of you that have listened to an episode this year. Chris and I truly appreciate it. And we truly hope and pray that we have edified or encouraged you in some way over the course of this year. Because without you, we would just be here sitting and talking to each other, which actually would be okay to, with me. I mean, I'm, a lot of times I forget we're recording, and I just end up in a conversation with Chris. But thank you for listening, and I'll let my brother Chris close the words out for this last episode of 2021. Amen. Thank you, brother. Um, excellent stuff all around. Again, cannot emphasize enough that think about what MacArthur said that when we are coming together we are edifying equipping and preparing the saints for the work of ministry and our, that ministry specifically is the proclamation of the gospel it is not so that that gathering can be the evangelism wing that's not the role of the pastor that is not the role of the elders and deacons and, and the servants in the church that is the gathering of the church. Okay, it is the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. If you are in Christ, if you are professing to be in Christ, that gathering is for you. Doesn't mean an unbeliever can't come in. Doesn't mean they can't be invited so they can hear the the exposition of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the purpose of the gathering of the saints. The gathering of the saints come together for corp corporate prayer worship, study, edification, so that when they depart, they are doing the work of Christ in the proclamation of the gospel. That's the purpose. That's the mission. That's what we are called to do. So 
taking those two ditches again. And we're, we haven't even gotten into the whole social justice, liberal, progressive nonsense, okay? We've spoken about that all throughout 2020 and 2021. There are multiple episodes. That if you want to go, well, you didn't talk about Go check out some of our past episodes. Believe me, we discussed those things. This is about why we gather. Because you have some people that think we don't need to gather. Or I can watch on TV and that's enough. And you have some people that have no clue why we gather. And they do ridiculous circus events like what Pastor Jeffress did. That is, neither of those are biblical. Both of those are a blasphemy of what God has commanded. If you are able-bodied, if you have sound biblical churches... that Look, I drive 45 minutes to get to my church. Okay, Some people are like, well, you know, I can't find a church nearby. Be willing to make the distance, make the trek. Or partner with a church to help plant a church in your area if that's what you need to do. Okay, Maybe the fact that there isn't a good church in your area means that you need to help do the work of getting one there. Okay, Be willing to put in that work. You're not just to be a pew warmer. We're all called to serve in some capacity. Okay, we all have something we ought to be doing inside that church so that we are equipping one another so that the, we can be sure that the church can gather so that we the church can be served so that when we depart from one another, we are proclaiming the gospel. So this idea that, well, I don't have to go. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. You are commanded to go. Christ has said we are to teach his people to obey to, uh, all that he has commanded. Okay, One of those commands is that we are not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. And there is a whole host of scripture behind why we do that. Okay, So, no, you don't get to say, I don't have to go. You are commanded to go. If you have no desire to go, if you refuse to go, if you have the ability but just won't, you got a problem. Now, going to caveat it one more time. There are people that cannot go because of their health, because of their circumstances, because there's something unique about their situation that prevents them from going. That's not who we're talking to. If you've heard this and you feel I'm attacking you or you feel convicted because of your circumstances, please understand we are not coming after you. There may be a time for a season you cannot be there. There may be a time as some of our Brethren that we know that have are that listen to this program, they literally cannot leave their home because of their circumstances. That is not whom we are talking to. By the way, pastor, if you have somebody in your congregation that's in that situation, you better be getting somebody involved in their lives, please. Do not neglect. Rich, you and I got to talk about this one one time. Pastors, stop neglecting those in your congregations who are unable, especially because of health, because of disability, stop neglecting them. They need you as bad as anybody else who's capable of showing up on a Sunday. Do not neglect them. They need you. They need the church. Do not neglect them. Okay, That's one we're going to have to talk about next year too. Um, to the other end. If you gather together for a feel-good message, if you gather together for a rock concert, if you gather together to have somebody to follow somebody else's vision, a la Stephen Furtick, 
if you gather together because of promises of wealth or prosperity, if you gather together because you think it's going to give you a political uh, one-upsmanship, you are not gathering as a church. You need to understand the purpose and the mission of the church. You need to read your Bibles. You need to you need to repent of what you've been doing to that church, and you need to reverse course now. And if you're a pastor saying, "Hey, I can do this political stuff. I can do these shenanigans. I can do this name it and claim it, blab it and grab it stuff," you need to repent and you need to get out of that pulpit. You are not qualified. And I would say that to his face, Robert Jeffress is not qualified. Okay, what he did was wrong. With that said, as we close out 2020, and by the way, we will have, um, we, we are going to uh, bring up some of our kind of our, our past uh, podcast episodes as we close out this year. So we're not leaving you without anything to listen to. If you still want to continue to listen for the next couple of weeks, we will give you some, some stuff to, 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 to round out your podcast listening. We're not going to completely leave you in the lurch. Um, but this will be the last recorded one live uh, between Rich and I for the remainder of this year. Um, as we close this out, we want you to remember that we're coming into a new year. And this new year, we all like to make promises about what we're going to do. And 99.9% .9 of the time, we reject all of them. As you go into 2022, think about how are you going to serve the Lord this year? Don't think about you know your weight loss plan or your exercise plan or oh, I'm going to make more money this year. I'm going to get a better job or be a better. Pay. How are you going to serve the Lord this year? How are you going to be equipped to do the work of evangelism? How are you going to do the work of edifying your your saint, your fellow saints? How are you going to support your local church? Go into the 2022 thinking about that, because like we said before or earlier in the show. It doesn't matter what political environment you find yourself in. The church is still the church. Everything that is taught with his scriptures isn't solely for an American, uh, American democratic republic slash democracy slash bordering on tyranny environment. It applies to every political spectrum. It applies to every cultural spectrum. So how are you going to serve the church this year? How are you going to serve Christ this year? How are you going to die to self and do the work of, of ministry this year? Challenge yourself with that. We are so grateful that you have been with us throughout all of 2021. You guys have made this a wonderful year for us and just amazed at how much support we have seen from you and how much prayers we have received and how many, how we've come to realize how many or how far we've this program has been able to reach because of God's grace and mercy and because of people like you. We are so very, very grateful. If tomorrow God shuts this down, we can be happy. Not because we hit so many numbers, not because we you know broadened our listener base or any of those things, but because we hopefully serve the Lord faithfully and we helped to edify the saints. If that's what we got to do, from April of 2016 to December of 2021, we have done all that we could ask to do. Now, we it's our plans to continue this. We're not looking at stopping anytime soon. But all of this, of course, is by God's grace. And we can only see what he has in store for tomorrow, next week, next year. So we, hopefully, God willing, 
will join you with a new live episode in January of 2022. We will have two more, two more uh, past episodes to share with you in the coming weeks. But we look forward to seeing you and serving you in the coming year. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next year. Thank you.